Let's stand together. We're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 12. We're looking at a series of messages on Abraham, uh, the father of all who believe. And today we're going to talk about failing the faith test. Genesis chapter 12 and uh, verse 5. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on to the, still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. But the famine was severe in the land. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. God has called Abraham to leave his family and the life that he knew in the ancient city of Haran or Ur and then travel to a land that God would show him. And Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. What a, a great, great step of faith that was. It wasn't blind faith because he went out believing the promise of God. God told him, I will show you where you're going. And in words of marvelous simplicity, but a great significance today, the Bible simply says, so they came to Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Arriving in the land that God had promised to him, and upon his arrival there, it's almost like as soon as he crossed over into Canaan land, there was the Lord. Appearing to him and giving him a personal message, affirming that promise, telling him for sure, Abraham, this is it. I told you I would show you a land. This is the land. Abram would build an altar on the spot and begin then to worship and, and serve God. And as he continued to move around, uh, he moved a little bit further uh, this, uh, uh, to, the, uh, to the east, he moved in a little further to the south. And as he was going, he was building altars for his family, making sure that they continued to worship and to serve God. All seemed well. He's in the land of Canaan. God has given him a personal message. He's building altars. He's worshiping and serving in the land God had promised him. And then something terrible happens. A famine. Famine is not a word that sends chills up and down our spine anymore as Americans. And that's something to be thankful for. There's very few people, if any, in this congregation that can remember the last great famine that struck our land back in conjunction with the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl uh, that uh, swept across the land, times of drought and hunger and death. Maybe you've seen it in movies. 
Maybe you've read the grapes of wrath. We didn't live it. We're used to going to the grocery store. <laughs> if we go there before it snows and so they've cleaned out the bread aisle, we'll all be fussing. Man, there's no bread in this place. Famine doesn't send chills up and down our spine. I pray to God that it never comes to that in this country. But we do not overlook the, significant, the significance of what's happening. A famine is always bad. This was a particularly bad famine because it was a famine in the promised land. God has appeared to him and told him, this is the place. I'm going to give this to you and to your descendants forever. This is the land that I promised you. The place that I want you to be. And then there's a famine. A famine in the land that flows with milk and honey. God had promised that Abraham would be blessed and that he would be a blessing. But now there's a famine. You ever had an experience like that? A time maybe when you stepped out by faith and you were obedient to God and you went somewhere that you felt like God was sending you. You did something maybe that God was uh, encouraging you or leading you to do. You've stepped out by faith and instead of everything getting better, it gets worse. Uh, now there's a school of theology in America today. It's very popular. It's called prosperity theology. And it's built on the idea basically that if you get saved, you get right with God and you do the things that whoever's leading it will tell you to do, then you'll never have any problems. Your problems will be over. You'll be at the end of your problems. And I can tell you that. If you follow God by faith, uh, you will indeed get to the end of your problems. The front end. And I understand that front end is an oxymoron, but we use it all the time. In fact, sometimes we follow God by faith. We launch out to do what He tells us to do, and things get worse that were already bad and that maybe they get worse have you ever got in trouble doing what the Bible tells you to do obedient to the word of God and yet you got in trouble for it it happens well when our situation doesn't match our revelation that's what is called a faith test See, God had revealed great things to Abraham, gave to him great promises, and yet the situation of a famine was the exact opposite of what Abraham was expecting. When our situation doesn't match our revelation, it's a faith test. Now, God didn't cause this famine necessarily, but he certainly allowed it, and and the result is that Abraham's faith is going to be tested. And those blessings that we experience very often lead to testing. But let's understand that testing in Scripture is not presented as a necessarily bad thing. Simon Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7 that the trying or testing of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. Though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Well, Abraham's received that glorious revelation of God's character and 
And now he's in the midst of a situation then that's threatening everything that he has and challenges everything he believes in. I mean, when it's a famine and you're a cattle farmer and a sheep farmer and a herdsman and there's nothing to graze on, nothing to grow, that's a challenge. Well, if this was a test, and it was, Abraham certainly failed it. If he failed the faith test, he has lots and lots of company. <laughs> because a lot of us have failed under the same kind of situation. It's easy to walk by faith. I say it's easy. It's easier to walk by faith when it's one of those shouting hallelujah times and everything is going well in life. But I want you to know this morning that God is just as trustworthy and his revelation to us is just as real when we're down in the valley or when we're struggling through times of adversity. And in fact, sometimes it seems to me that our faith actually grows stronger in those times of adversity than it does in those times of great blessing. So this morning we're, we're going to go through this under three major headings and First of all, we'll talk about the cause of it. That is why he failed the test. If you've ever failed a test, you know that there are several things at work uh, when you fail. Uh, the easiest one is that we didn't prepare. We didn't study. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'll go ahead and raise mine. I have raised it. I failed a test at one time in my life or two because I didn't study. That's happened. That happens maybe to you. Sometimes we prepare for the test, but then we get in there and our teacher throws us a curveball. What we studied is not at all what the test is all about. I had a few teachers who seemed to take particular delight in coming in there and testing us on something that was completely different than what we prepared for. I've had that. Sometimes we just get rattled. I mean, there's a, that first question, we can't see it, and it just rattles us, and it shakes our confidence, and, and we get all nervous and upset, and first thing you know, we can't remember anything that we've studied, we have no confidence in our answers, and then we just bomb the test. But if we've prepared, and we've worked, and we're familiar with the material, and we've done everything we could to get ready for it, and we, and we still fail, then there's really only one conclusion. And that is that there was a weakness in us that we weren't aware of. We were not familiar with the material. We weren't ready. We thought we were. But lo and behold, we weren't. Tests have a way of revealing a weakness in us that we're not aware of. And that was exactly what is going to happen to Abraham. It's easy to see. I mean, what a great story. Genesis chapter 12 verse 5. So they came to the land of Canaan. Verse 10. They went down to Egypt. <laughs> they went to Canaan, went to Egypt. Canaan, Egypt. Now, since God so clearly had led Abraham to Canaan then, and then confirmed his presence and power to him, we might expect him even to face a famine with some degree of confidence. If God led me here, then he's going to take care of me here. But instead he heads to Egypt. No doubt it seemed like a very rational move. There's a famine here. There's food in Egypt. <laughs> I believe God's leading us to Egypt. Let's go. You ever made a decision that way? 
Oh, it looks good. My needs aren't being met, met here, then my needs will be met over there. I'm not getting what I need, not experiencing God's blessings here, and I will be blessed there. And sometimes we make a, a decision just based on that. It wasn't Abraham's faith that led him to Egypt. It was his flesh. It was his flesh. How do I know? Uh, there's several ways this morning that we can know conclusively that Abraham failed the faith test. And the first one is what the Bible says in Isaiah 31 and 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Right up front, word of God. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Egypt is almost always presented as a type or a picture of the world system and all of its attractiveness and temptations to the believer. Really, uh, we can only think of one notable exception of, of, uh, of a trip down to Egypt that was actually endorsed by God. And that was when Mary and Joseph took the baby child, Jesus, down there. Aside from that, almost every time people went down to Egypt, it didn't work out well. John Phillips called Egypt the devil's lair for sinners and the lure for saints. Interestingly, the last reference to Egypt in Scripture is found in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. See, Egypt is presented as the center of the world system that's contrary to God and His people, but its lure to the people of God is always the same. It looked like a place where they could get help, where they'd be made to feel better, where their needs would be met and supplied, as opposed to trusting God to supply the need. You see, we walk by faith and we live by faith and we expect to be blessed. And we don't like it when we're walking by faith and living by faith and it leads us to testing. We don't like it when we feel like our needs aren't being met. We don't like it when we feel like uh, that we've stepped out by faith and it just seems that it hasn't worked or hasn't done us any good. The blessings don't materialize. You see, testing makes Egypt look very good to us. When we've trusted God and followed God but begin to feel maybe that he's let us down, it's real easy for us to turn to the world to see if it'll make us feel better. Let's notice this morning that Egypt feeds the flesh, but it starves our faith. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is my wife and they'll kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Now, Abraham was concerned because Sarah was so beautiful. And in fact, when he got there, he found out that he was concerned was valid. She would be recognized, noticed by the princes of Egypt, brought to Pharaoh. And let's remember that at this time, Sarah was 65 years old. I'm going to tell you something. She had more than Lady Clairol working for her. <laughs> 65 years old, and she was turning the heads of a whole nation. Abram's scared to death. They're going to take one look at you and kill you, or kill me to take you. And so this is what we're going to do. I want you all, all to lie for me. 
we're all going to lie and say you're my sister. Well, it's bad to lie, and it's even worse to make your whole family lie for you. That's what Egypt does to you, though. It feeds the flesh and starves your faith. As God's people, you see, when we're not being blessed or God isn't working the way we want to, sometimes it, it just looks good to go down and see if the world can help me out some. Remember, it'll feed your flesh, but it'll starve your faith. And then we need to look at the cost. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her, commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He didn't kill him. Uh, he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, camels. I mean, he treated Abram well for Sarah's sake. He was walking in fear of faith in Canaan. Now he's walking in fear in Egypt. He's being treated well by Pharaoh. I'm not going to tell you this morning that the world don't have a lot of good things to offer. It may treat you well. A lot of fun stuff out there. A lot of wealthy things out there. A lot of gold. A lot of silver. A lot of cattle. A lot of donkeys. A lot of great things that they have to offer. But it has a high price tag. Right up front, we see that Sarah is living in Pharaoh's house. No longer with Abraham. The first thing it cost him was his relationship with his wife. Egypt's bad about doing that. It always has been. A lot of marriages today on the rocks. Because people have gone to the world. Thinking that the world would help them. Thinking that the world would make them better. They've gone to Egypt. I'm not telling you about believers, but they've turned from God as their resource and turned to the world instead. It doesn't help your relationship. It attacks that most precious relationship that you have, the relationship with your wife or your husband. Egypt cost him time. He built no altar there. He wasn't a blessing there. His name, God has said, would certainly be made great, but you know, his name wasn't great in Egypt. God said, I'll make you a blessing, but he wasn't a blessing in Egypt. He would look back on this time as lost time. I'm going to turn 59 years old in a couple of months. If I say that real fast, it doesn't sound as bad. I don't know how I got this old so fast. It seemed like it didn't take me near as long to get to be 59 as it takes everybody else to get 59. Uh, time, I bring this up this morning just to remind us all, time is really the most precious commodity that we have. Time. Whatever time he spent in Egypt, Abram will tell you, lost lost and that's what the world does to us take your time many of you perhaps this morning could give a similar testimony to a time when maybe you turned away from walking God with God and serving with God and went to the world and right now this morning you could 
give testimony. I lost some good years. Years I can never get back. It cost him his testimony. Verse 17, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. God had promised to make Abraham a blessing. And you, he said, shall all nations of the world be blessed. Now he's become a curse. Curse to Pharaoh. It caused him trouble. See, Abraham picked up something that would cause him a lot of trouble in life while he was in Egypt. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1 tells us, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Hmm. Now those familiar with the story of Abram know that Hagar would give birth to Ishmael, and the conflict between Ishmael and Isaac has been causing war in this world ever since. Ishmael would be the progenitor of the Arab nations, while Abraham, of course, was the father of the Jewish people and the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs. Never seems to be out of the news. You see, what you do in Egypt, folks, doesn't always stay in Egypt. In fact, it seldom ever does. Sometimes we pick up things there Habits, tastes, we try things, we do things. Sometimes those habits plague us for years. But I'm glad to be able to say that though Abraham failed the faith test, we can close out by talking about the cure. Genesis 13, 1. Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai unto the place of the altar which he made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Bethel means house of God, house of God. Now, interestingly, the Bible tells us that Abram went north to get to the south. <laughs> We've talked all the time about things that go on south, but you know, Abram went north to get south. You've ever heard of something, you know, I'm so low I'd have to reach up to touch your bottom. Well, Abraham was so far down, he had to go north to get to south. But he wasn't just going anywhere. He was going back to Bethel, going back to the house of God, back to where his altar was, back to where God had appeared to him and given him his promises, back where God was blessing him, back where God was using him. There was something in the heart of God's people that we know that though we may sojourn for a while in the world, there comes a time 
when we can't stand it anymore and we begin to long again for the house of God. And we know, we know, though we might not know why, but there's something about going back to church that is going to help me get my life back on track. Abram knew. See, the house of God in the Old Testament is one thing, but we know what the house of God is in the New Testament, and that's the church. That's the house of God, the pillar and the ground of truth. It's a pretty good time for us to remember that if something is pulling you out of church, it's probably pulling you toward Egypt, if not all the way in Egypt. If it's costing you your time in the house of God, that's too high price to pay. As God's people, we need it. God has determined it. He has planned it for us. But he's leaving Egypt. He's gone back to his tent. He's gone back to the altar. Make no mistake about it. When believers end up in the world, we end up living a lie. And we have nothing but trouble to show for it. God doesn't come to us in Egypt so he can help us straighten our life out and enjoy staying there. The father loved the prodigal son, but he did not go as much as he loved him. He did not go and join him in the hog pen. When he started back to the father's house, though, one of the greatest stories of Scripture is the God who ran because the father ran to meet him. Maybe you're in this building today because God has worked in your heart and you knew you and your family need to get back in church. I'm here to tell you today that God is pleased with that move. You say, well, I failed. Yeah, but your failure doesn't get the last word. Failure's not final. You can come back to God's house, and God will meet you. A few things then for us to remember this morning. Take home with us. Remember that there are times in our walk of faith when our revelation, what God has showed us and what God has promised us, may not look like our situation. When that's happened, that doesn't mean that God's not keeping His word. That means that we're going to go through a faith test. Hold on to that revelation of God. Because if you start trying to change your situation, you may make it worse. The psalmist said in Psalm 73 and 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. It's hard on God's people when we see people living it up in wickedness. And yet we live for God and we trust God and we're following God. We're doing everything we can to try to be faithful to God. And those people out there in wickedness are having a high old time and getting rich. And here we are just struggling along. It's tough on us. It was tough on the psalmist. I didn't put it up there this morning, but if you'll read Psalm 73, when you get home, when you get home, (laughs) you'll read Psalm 73. You'll find out that the psalmist got it right. He said, when I went back to, my, back to your sanctuary, God. Same thing. I went to your sanctuary, to your house. And I saw there the end of the wicked. They may prosper for a while. But God and his people is working because he's going to bless us 
for all eternity. All eternity. Remember that Egypt feeds the flesh and starves the flesh, or starves our faith. It takes the relationship out of our marriage. It makes us live alive before our families. It takes our testimony before the world so that we can't be a blessing but a curse. It robs us of our worship. Remember, Abram built no altars in Egypt, none. And if Egypt takes your marriage, your family, your testimony, and your worship, God help us. It don't matter what it gives us. What does it have to give? That's going to make up for all it takes. Abram was still a believer. God didn't just change everything because he messed up or failed a test. He was still a believer. God had made him promises and God was going to keep those promises. When he got back to Bethel, God was there. God would renew those promises to him. And their sweet fellowship would be restored. But he'd have to deal with Hagar for the rest of his life. Oh, how much better it would be if he would have just heeded the advice. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. And do not seek the Lord, the God of Israel. God has led you. Oh, listen, hang on to those promises. And call out to God. His ears are listening for your cry. He'll supply all of your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that world that looks so good is going to take more than it ever gives. Let's stand together.